Heidi ho, Creeperinos. Welcome back to a, uh, another episode of the Creeping It Real Horrorcast. And uh, it's nice to have all you slashes and survivor girls join us again. I am Lunchbox. I'm Meg. And uh, so we are in our second uh, second screening for our Stephen King October Halloween Horror Month. Yeah, it's our Stephen King Spoopy Fest. Spoopy? What's a spoopy? Spoopy, spooky. Spooky with a speech impediment. Is that something that like is in Invader Zim? Yeah. Okay, we'll go with we'll that. We'll go with Zim. All right. But yeah, so uh, what was your pick this week? My pick. It was me. It was me. It was my pen. My pen. Uh, it also has the distinction of being our very first werewolf movie. I chose Silver Bullet. The, um, it's the 1985... Uh, Stephen King adaptation of his novella called Cycle of the Were- the Werewolf. It stars Gary Busey, Corey Haim, and Everett McGill. It's directed by Don Atias. Um, sorry, Dan Atias. It's actually written by Stephen King. It was made for a budget of about $7 million and grossed $12.36 million at the box office. So it was profitable, but only by a smidgen. No. Yeah. So um, this one was... Uh, I don't want to say a deep cut, but it was definitely a less obvious choice. Yeah, I mean, when to be honest, I have never heard of the like the the, the book that it's that's from Cycle of the Werewolf. Never, I have it, never come across it. I think it might be in one of his short story books. Like it possibly, he has, he's yeah. got collections of like novellas and stuff. Yeah, um, I have his most recent one. Uh, and for the life of me, it's escaping me. But he put one out, I think, in 2016. Yeah. I, I mean, it's that's pretty neat where, yeah, I mean, you could say that it's uh, maybe an underrated title uh, compared underrated, to... Underrated and I think just kind of overlooked. Yeah. Um, Stephen King is such a p- prolific writer that that seems to be all he does is he's a machine. So, like... He's got books coming out all the time. He's in, in between writing his novels. He's writing short stories and novellas and these little bitty um, sort of like micro stories because some of them are only like 10 pages long or something like that. So a lot of times what ends up happening is in between certain novel releases, he'll just release an entire book full of short stories. Mm. So there's a handful of those going around. I think Cycle of the Werewolf may be in one of those. Okay. I'd have to look up which one, but I think it's in one of those. Well, and if you guys know it, just, you know, email it to us dm us and, and you know, right and, and oh, inform and us that reminds me before we get into the rest of the podcast uh like share subscribe tell your friends um tell your dog your dog too uh pets love us mm-hmm. we're really big in the kennels um just so we can grow our reach uh and now back to the podcast <laughs> cheap plug cheapy plug yeah. so silver bullet yes it's our very first werewolf movie um and it also kind of got um it's got a bit of a goonies stand by me kind of vibe because once again uh just like we did with it chapter one last week it the focal point the focal point is on the kids and the kids solving the mystery and the kids catching the murderer and finding out who the monster is like it's all yeah focused on um marty and his sister Jeannie. is it jane 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 and then their Uncle Red, who's played by Gary Busey. Oh, my God. That was my favorite part of the film. I love me some Busey. <laughs> love me some yeah, Busey. Yeah, you do. So. Uh, so, yeah, but this was, I think, Gary Busey pre-Crazy Pants. Oh, my God. Um, Corey Haim plays Marty. 
uh, and Everett McGill plays uh, the reverend in the story. So we are in a teeny weeny little town, once again, in Maine. Yeah, so there is mischief afoot. Turns out that there was this whole month in 1976 where there is a monster terrorizing the small town, and it was up, and it was Marty, little Marty, and his sister Jane, and their uncle Red, who figured it out and got to the bottom of it. But there's a twist on this, because Marty, he's actually paraplegic. So that added a whole extra layer to the tension and the suspense, because he wasn't as able-bodied as everybody else, so he couldn't run away or... um, Which I actually kind of found a little refreshing because you don't really see that too often. I think the the last time I saw a wheelchaired person in a horror movie was Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he got God. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) I think one of the, I think one of the Friday, the, Oh, Friday the 13th part two had a guy in a wheelchair also. Mm, Okay. Um, Okay. Yes. That's right. And I remember the one, I can't remember his name from, uh, Chainsaw Massacre, now, but I think we wanted him to die. Yeah, now, you know what Marty had different than all those other, you know, jabronis? It was a sweet motorized Oh my wheelchair. god, I wanted that thing yes. so bad. We, when we first meet little Marty, he has this amazing little, his uncle created his motorized wheelchair, um, he took, he, like, go-kart parts and added it to his wheelchair yeah, so, so that he could, like, run around and, like, haul ass around yeah, town. It was a ga- bitchin'. It was a gas-powered... Well, when we first meet him, we kind of have just a modified wheelchair that's also gas-powered. And he has a clutch, and he has, it's like, the motorcycle handles. And it's called, been called the Silver Bullet. Well, later on in the movie, we find that Uncle Red wants to give little Marty an upgrade... So we meet the new and improved Silver Bullet, which is essentially a motorcycle with a bucket seat. And it's amazing. Well, and, and <laughs> like, it, it is a wheelchair. Like, yes. the bucket seat is the wheelchair, which is But he so built this whole awesome. motorci- gas-powered motorcycle around it. It's great. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and calling it the Silver Bullet is, uh, is a really interesting uh, little take on the... Uh, on, on foreshadowing what's going to end up happening later down the road. And uh, sorry if you hear all that creaking in the, in the background. That's our cat Draco that's, uh, you know, inspecting rooms right now. So Yeah, Draco wanted to make sure that the laundry was running appropriately, yeah. so he had to break into the laundry room. Anyways, so with Marty having his bitchin' ride, uh, I don't think Exhibit could have made a better ride <laughs> from, like, from custom, from it was custom a pretty, East Coast Customs. It was a pretty pimped out uh, wheelchair, appropriately named. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because that's how usually we see Marty. And Corey Haim is, was, was able-bodied, so it was a little different. He had to play a paraplegic kid who never had the use of his legs. And for the most part, he actually did pretty well with that. It's a really hard thing to do to not use your legs when they work perfectly well. For the most part, he managed to play the part really well with very little in terms of like him forgetting and actually there moving were his legs. A, there was a couple of scenes that I actually kind of spotted mm-hmm. where he, you could see his leg moving. It's very slightly, but I mean, and knowing that, okay, well, his legs actually work... It is one of those things to... It literally for, can't be helped. Yeah, you, your brain cannot shut it off. And, you're like, I mean, it was more of, like, you could see it twitch. 
Well, he and, had, when he would like yeah. um, when he climbed down the trellis. Yes. Which is not easy to do when you have all four working limbs, by the way. So he's doing it. The thirteen-year-old Corey Haim is doing this with just his arms. Yeah. Like monkeying down this trellis into his bitchin' motorcycle. <laughs> But when he's trying to adjust himself into the seat, he'll pick his leg up by the pant leg, but you can kind of see him actually, like, using the muscles in his leg to flip, to move them over. It's not, it's not something you're noticing unless you're really staring at it, kind of like yeah. what we were doing. But, but all in all, he did pretty well. Yes, I thought he did great. Uh, I mean, a lot of the scenes that they had him in, he didn't really have, he didn't have to move at all. But right. it was, but there was the, the scenes where, he, like you said, coming down the jowls or... Or um, I think there was a little scene, a little part of him. Oh wait, like oh, we'll get into this later. But he he climbs a tree, and you can kind of see like where he's trying to adjust himself, and you can see his leg kind of yeah, moving but, a little bit. But, but overall, I would say ninety percent plus of this movie is him seated. In a chair, he's yeah. seating. Yeah, he's sat sitting down. Sitting. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, but still, uh, it was great. Now, the one thing that I actually didn't notice. At the beginning of this movie, was that this movie is not being told through the eyes of Marty. Nope. It's being told through the eyes of Jane. Yep. However, Jane is not the main character no. of the movie. It's all Marty. Jane kind of comes into play a little bit later in the movie, and she kind of becomes part of the the you know the Goonie Squad, but. Why wouldn't you just make Janie the, you know, the the cripple or, you know, just or the girl in the wheelchair? It's like, why or or not have her so much in like or put her more in the story in that in that aspect? Because almost everything revolves around Marty and having her tell the story, it it, it threw me off at, at mm-hmm. first. And then later on in the movie, that's when I realized, like, oh, she's it's it's all coming from her yeah it's her point of view yeah it this silver bullet is just as much a brother and sister relationship story as it is a werewolf story um in fact there's some points throughout the movie where the werewolf is more secondary to it um yeah the when we start the movie out we see that jane is she resents marty quite a lot because he couldn't walk so his mom babied him Whenever they would get into an argument, her parents were quick to take Marty's side. It always seemed like um, Marty was the favorite. He got the special treatment. He got special treatment, and she kind of felt shafted because of it. She's also the oldest, and being the oldest child comes with its own set of challenges because at some point or another, your parents just sort of expect you to do your own thing, even though you're not really... Like, if there's multiple children behind you, your parents will expect that, even though you're not really there... But their focus has moved down the ladder, and you're just kind of like, cool, so I'm chopped liver now. Um, but getting her, it was strange getting the narration from Jane's point of view, because we have an adult Jane doing the narration. But what we watch is the evolution of a sister who really resents her brother. Like, she she takes care, helps to take care of him, but it's definitely more begrudging. Like, I'm doing it because I have to and because I told to, but I really have no desire to do this whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Case in point, like, when they come back from uh, the little festival that they were at, and 
Marty and his friend Brady were pulling a prank on her and she with a snake and she lands in the mud and her entire outfit gets ruined and she's just like she was pissy about having the prank played on her which I don't blame her for one bit she was pissy because her clothes were ruined also don't blame her and then it was like the cherry on top of her shit Sunday her pantyhose had ripped now for context this is 1976 where that was still kind of a thing for women who wear skirts to wear hose underneath it so now she gets a rip in her pantyhose and that was just like that was the thing that kind of pushed her over the edge with how upset she was but through but that, that's kind of where it started and by the end of it like they got closer because of this the werewolf shenanigans and by the final scene of the movie when all is said and done like she pulls marty into her arms and you can see her give him a big hug she gives him a kiss on the forehead like they grew really close and this is such a weird event to finally realize you're like i actually kind of love my brother well, no like to go back towards the, the beginning of the movie though there is a very sweet moment with marty because he like him and his, and his friend dickhead brady uh decide you know they're they're playing the prank brady's up in a tree with a snake and he dangles it down in front of jane and she falls backwards yeah and but marty kind of he sees what happens and he's yeah in on it because brady well because at first he's in on it and then brady keeps pushing it yeah making jane more angry and marty keep marty kind of tells him to cut it out but Brady won't listen because he's an asshole. Yeah, and Jane really blames Marty right full hard because of of her dislike for him. So yeah, but and the the great thing is that you know Corey Haim you know played it very well. Because, oh my gosh, yeah. so sweet. Yeah, but the whole time, like the whole drive home, he's apologizing to her, and their mom is like, "Jane, just accept his apology." He keeps saying he's sorry, and she's like, no, he ruined my clothes, he pushed the issue, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, she was fully resentful. And, I mean, if we're being honest, you don't have to accept somebody's apology. No. You can choose to, but if you don't mean it, then don't accept yeah. the apology. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and what was genuine was, I mean, he really did he feel felt He like felt like shit. Bad. And the, the cherry on it was he... At later on that night, he wheels himself into her room and he goes to her bedside table and, and puts something on there. And Money. then she, yeah, she turns the light on. She's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh," and he's like, "I wanted you to have this." And he, and he's putting down. I, I forget what the amount was. It was, it like, was a couple dollars. Yeah. it wasn't anything crazy. It was like it was like it was like two or three dollars yeah. worth of money. And and so he's like he's like I you know I feel really really bad and I wanted to to you know buy you some pantyhose. I hope this will cover it. You know, trying to really he really was make trying to good. Bear. He's yeah. like I'm, I'm I'm serious. And so and and what was even better was that he's like I hope this will cover. You know, I hope this will be enough. And then she kind of looks through his change and actually like takes out. You know, a good like dollar seventy five or something. She like said that. it was. A, she said she could go down to the drugstore and get like her legs for a dollar fifty or something. Yeah, like that. and so she hands him change back and mm-hmm. and and makes it. Uh, and and they and you could tell like they have this like it's okay and it's it's sweet and yeah. and she she does care for, like I mean you you could tell like there's that brother and sister fight feud but then there's something behind it that yeah there was that was the start of yeah. I think. Um, her coming around also that shows that like Marty is maturing a little bit because he accepted responsibility and not only accepted responsibility but was willing to pay for her torn clothes yeah like her dress can be washed sure but like you know ripped pantyhose this day and age in 2019 it's kind of like eh because we don't really we're only forced to wear pantyhose are you kidding me ripped pantyhose are so in right now 
most of us don't give a shit, and we kind of work it into some 90s riot girl look when, anyway. Yeah. But, um... Throw, throw a flannel on, and you're it, good. But the thing that, um, I don't think Corey Haim ever gets enough credit for, before he became, like, totally strung out at the, the back end of the 80s, was when he was really young, and he was doing Silver Bullet and Lucas, and right up through The Lost Boys before he got in with Corey Feldman... His acting was amazing, and he was so sweet, and he was so earnest, and he played, like, this really, like, sensitive, genuine kid in this movie, where, like, he had the empathy, and he could feel things for his sister, and he could kind of, I think at that point, like, between the fight on the way home from the festival, and then that night when he gave her money to pay for the pantyhose, I think that was him finally understanding where his sister was coming from yeah. after all that time. Well, you know, uh, another thing too that I actually kind of noticed and, and you, you kind of brought it up with him growing up, I actually don't think that he actually had any problem. I think what Jane really had a problem with was her parents. Yeah. Because... Her mom in particular. Yeah, because it, it was more of like uh, she was mad at the the parents and using Marty as the vessel for being angry because I mean really the stuff that Marty was kind of getting upset about any kid would get upset about but they were just making this they would make it a little bit of a bigger deal than what Marty was actually doing like there was a scene where uh, they go down to the little carnival to watch like Marty was really wanting to watch the fireworks yeah well because of the curfew because of the the killer that was on loose they canceled the fireworks and Marty was upset well, Marty was upset, and then the mom was trying to be like, "Oh, it's okay, yeah. don't worry." Babied him a little about it. Yeah, and then and then that that pissed Jane off because she's like, "Oh, something else that Marty's upset about that you know he's gonna oh, want." Marty it didn't out. get his way, and then you know because she was being snarky about it, her her mom got pissed because it's like, "Don't don't talk that way about my precious little baby boy," like kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like you could tell she. She really favored him, um, especially because we see this really cool relationship between Marty and his Uncle Red. And what was cool about Red, Gary Busey's character, is that he didn't treat Marty like there was anything wrong with him. He just treated him like a person. And that upset um, Marty's mother, who was Red's sister, Nan. That upset Nan because she thinks that Marty's fragile and needs to be coddled. And Red's like, knock it off. He's still a boy. Like, he's perfectly fine. I mean, like, she did actually have a a really good point because, I mean, uh, Uncle Red is a drunk. He's on his third divorce. Yeah. Um, Anytime that he comes over, he's... He's he's also kind of a brute. Yeah, he's very, uh, very kind of in your face, and and he he doesn't really pull any punches. Um, And so when he actually goes through and... Uh, he shows up, he's drinking a big old bottle of wild turkey playing... He had half a bottle of wild turkey by the time we pan over and he, him. And he's drinking in front of Marty. Yeah. And so, and that's pissing off his mom. So when she shows up and she's like, okay, no, you're all done. Marty, go to bed. Um, well, um, don't forget, in that same scene, they were playing poker for baseball cards. Yes. Which I actually thought was kind of cute. That was really cute. And that's where it's like, you'll, you know, Uncle Red really does love Marty, even though that his life is crumbling underneath him and 
but he, he still had somebody that that he could really love and and, yeah. and cherish, which is a really really awesome thing to have. Unless he was drinking, because there, because yes. when he was drunk, he was very short tempered. You know, like most angry drunks are kind of short tempered. Yeah. Um, they don't always say the right thing. They don't behave very well. And we no, get, he was he was being very vulgar in front of in front of Marty and stuff yeah. like that. But, but I think I think he was like that. When we saw Red sober, um, this is the other layer of this of Silver Bullet being just as much of a brother sister story as it is a werewolf story because not only are we dealing with Marty and Jane and their relationship, but we're also dealing with Nan and Red and their relationship. Yeah, they're sort of like adult versions of Jane and Marty. Nan's the older sister. Yeah. Red's the little brother who's a pain in the ass. You can never seem to get his shit together. Yeah. Well, um, and and that's what that like one of her comments to Red was, or because Red's going on like you know quit treating Marty like like he's uh you know piece of glass like he doesn't need to be coddled he doesn't need to be doing this like you and then she's like but you're not like you're only here for one night you're not here to see him you know to take care of him and to see him having to you know get him into the yeah she said something about him blowing in like once a month and you know that he has his good time and then he leaves yeah and it's like you're yeah, you you have your fun with Marty, but you don't have to go through everything that I go through actually taking care of him. And I can see where that is a big struggle. I mean, we have friends that we have know, yeah, we have a friend with an autistic child. Yeah. We have a friend who has son a son with epilepsy. Like we see things like this with some of these different kids, and it's I can't I can't speak to that because I don't know what it's like to be a parent of a kid who's not neurotypical or who is an able-bodied or you know that's that's really hard to deal with and again you know stand and applaud i mean because you guys are are killing it i mean for you to really get in there and take care of a child like that Mm -hmm. and you know really take care of them i mean we got two kids that's got both their legs and it's yeah it's it's not i couldn't think of of having to do that with uh it's hard, so it's not something that either of us can really speak to, but I can only imagine what it's like having, especially a child who, like, we don't know if necessarily if Marty was born a paraplegic. Like, my one of my brothers had a friend in school who was born with spina bifida, and he couldn't, he was in a wheelchair. He was wheelchair-bound, he couldn't use his legs. And then, um, or was it something like that? Or was there an accident when he was younger and he ended up a paraplegic because of that? Like, we don't get the backstory on it. We just know Marty's in a wheelchair. Yeah. But, um... It would be nice I, to know. I, I mean, but... I did like, though, that with Red and his sister, um, later on in the movie, it's about, it's 4th of July, and they're all out back having a barbecue, and it is a very touching like family moment. It really is cuz Nan and Red are getting along and there's a there's a shortly after that conversation where he uh Red and Marty were having the poker for baseball cards game and then Nan chews Red out for being a drunk. It seems like she kind of got through to him. Yeah. At that point cuz he seems to clean up. He's around a lot more, like he's making an effort with Marty not to be so gross. And, like, he's making an effort with his sister, and then we get to the 4th of July scene where they're having the barbecue out back, and everyone seems to be getting along. Like, Nan's not side-eyeing her brother. 
for being shitty. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, she actually says, like, this is really fun. Like, it, and yeah. you could tell, like, she was like, this is, this is what I want out of, out of a relationship. Like, you're, you're, you're great. You're not drinking. Yeah. Like, he that's seems awesome. to have sobered like, up. Yeah. Um, and then prior to even that 4th of July, during, you know, because at this point there's been a handful of murders throughout the town, they're at a funeral for one of the people that was killed by the werewolf. And Red is sitting with the whole family. And Marty's sitting next to him, and Marty's, like, devastated. But um, Red kind of has this moment of, I don't think I can handle this sober. And he pulls, goes to pull a flask out of his coat pocket. And then he kind of looks at the flask, and he kind of looks at... Then he looks over at Marty, and he sees how upset Marty is. And then he changes his mind and puts the flask back in his pocket. Yeah. So that was one of those little growth things where it's like, oh, did Nan finally get through to him? And then we have a scene where Red backslides and he's loaded and he brings a random woman home and Marty calls him in the middle of the night to say, oh my god, I saw the werewolf, I shot him with a bottle rocket and Red just dismisses him because it's like 3 o'clock in the morning and he's like, I don't want to fucking deal with this right now. And he hangs the phone up and um, the woman he brought to bed with him rolls over and says, oh, asks who it was on the phone and he goes, oh, it's an obscene phone call. Yeah. Like he couldn't even be like, it was my nephew or something. Yeah, and, and that's... I mean, given that Red really fought against what was being, like, the the issue that was being presented to him, he fought against it. He was just like, it's not logical. There's nothing, there's no way that there's any werewolves out there. But then, so when he gets a call at 3 a.m., and he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's but got he's, he, you know, he'd been woman drinking, of the night. And, and he'd been drinking yeah. that entire night. So, of course, his temper is going to be even shorter than I'm sure it normally would. Yeah. But it's so weird because, like, in the beginning where we're, where Marty's initially talking about the potential, the potential of this being a werewolf problem, like, Red, he kind of shrugs it off. Like, it's, you know, like, oh, it's a kid making up a story. And then as it goes on a little bit, he kind of entertains it. And then we get to that scene where Marty calls him in the middle of the night and he just flat out shuts it down. Yeah. And even there, there's a part where they're actually in the shit. Like, they are, you know, just knee-deep in it. And out of nowhere, he goes, you know what? This is this is not real. Like, we got to stop this. Like, this is... Yeah. Playtime's over. Like, you can't... And all of a sudden, boom, all hell breaks loose again. Um, but, yeah, there's... Red was a a really fun character for me because I did love seeing Gary Busey play a role like that because usually it was a very paternal kind of role which was strange. Yeah. And and he actually gave Marty some good advice here and there and and kind of what was really creepy was that he was more of a father figure than Marty's actual dad. You barely saw his dad at all. Yeah, the focus was definitely on the, the Jane and Marty relationship, the Nan and Red relationship, and then the Red and Marty relationship. And, yeah. Yeah, Marty and Jan, Jane's dad was, like, he showed up here and there, like, he would be driving the car. Yeah, or he was at the barbecue. And, or something, and just... but he hardly spoke and he was hardly around, yeah. but because he wasn't the, he didn't play into any one of those relationships. He wasn't None. the focal point anywhere. Yeah. So he was... He wasn't even really so much a secondary character as he was even a tertiary character. Like no. he was in the scene somewhere. They could have they could have made Marty's mom a, a single mom, and it would have made no change to the story. Nope, zero difference at all. And so, like that was uh, that was really interesting to see with uh, with Red. But 
he really cared for Marty, and even when he thought that Marty was just full of shit, he still went with him. And yeah. and and even as a parent today, you gotta do that. Just just go in and make it believe. Like you know, do your due diligence and just. Well, part of it was you know, because like give give it a little credit. But I think part of it was that Marty sold it as well as he did. He was so earnest about it, and he so believed it that it was really difficult for Red to, to continue to be like, this is bullshit. Like, eventually he did get around to be like, alright, like, because they knew at this point there had been several people that had been murdered and so at the very least there was, like, some psycho killer on the loose. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't know what species of psycho killer it was at the time. Yeah. And when we start working our way through the story... Like, because we as an audience know exactly what's going on. Like, it was never hidden from us. We catch glimpses of the werewolf all throughout the story. And even in the beginning where it was like you would have like a little flash of an eye or a little flash of the teeth or something like that, With the fir- even with the first victim. So we knew right out the gate that yeah, oh. uh, a werewolf was going to be there. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, too, that um, the first kill is pretty bitchin' yeah. uh, because... It really uh, sets up for that tension. Mm-hmm. And the uh, first kill is Arnie. He is a railroad worker, and he is a drunk. Oh, yeah. He is uh, a, and, and a fantastic drunk at that because he can work magic with that pick sacks and, and a bottle of Jack. Mar- Mar- Arnie was funny because his was the easiest kill to explain away. Yeah. Because he was killed by the railroad tracks. He was the werewolf decapitated him. And that head got some air too. Like, oh my gosh, that thing was <laughs> yeah, the trajectory on that thing. It was it went so far. Like but it land his head landed on the tracks and his body landed near the tracks. So you could presume oh, he passed out on the track and a train came and yep. got him. Yeah, and they um and and that was a kind of a big kicker as to what was going on but and and they they made it as uh, if he just fell down and the train ran over him yep. instead of later on as the movie goes on it turns out that oh no it's a killer yeah. but arnie's death never makes it back into oh no he he got off it, by the killer it could be because his could be his was the most likely to be rationalized away as an accident yeah. So you can't say for sure that his was part of this murder situation because he was the drunk. It was easy to explain away. Oh, he got drunk and he passed out. He got run over by a train. Yeah. And then the second one we get is Stella. She was uh, one of the townies who she, we find out she had been pregnant. And she and her boyfriend are having an argument at this festival that... Uh, was it Janie or Marty overheard them? I think it was Janie overheard them. Yeah, it was Jane. Uh, arguing, and the boyfriend was yelling at Stella, that's not my bun in your oven, that's not my baby. Oh, blah, my blah. He was God. such a... And then he broke up with her and like, oh, just walked away. No, okay, I, I actually took note of this because of how big of a dick that man was. Like, so, yeah, to sit there and go, that ain't mine, that ain't mine, Uh uh-uh, that ain't mine. And then he turns around and he walks away and the last thing he says to her is, remember the good night. Asshole. Like, you're gonna sit there and say, oh, that that ain't mine, that reminds you better, you know, remember that that great sex we had. Oh, my God. Of course she will. Just punch him in the dick. 
No, he was a royal piece of shit. Oh my gosh. And it guts Stella so bad that that night she's up in her room and she pours out a bottle of these red pills. I don't know what they are. I, and I think, I want to say they were sleeping pills, but... Maybe, but they were huge. Yeah. Big ass sleeping pills, but she, one by maybe one... Maybe mixed with vitamins? I don't know. I don't know, but one by one she's slugging them down and she's going to overdose to death. So this is a pregnant woman who loses her shit. And she, what, what's even bigger, like, punch in the gut, is she's got a picture of this douchebag on her vanity. And she's, like, looking at the picture while she's popping the pills. Yeah, meaning that there was a deep relationship yeah. in there because and it's like one of those like glamour shot like photos of him oh it's, 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 it's like, like his um it's like his action it's like his headshot for yeah, his agent or something exactly so it's all black and white and she's just staring at it just oh this is it and then like just starts taking the pills and then all of a sudden like you get kind of well, see the, 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 the fur and there was a comment of, and there was a comment about how god frowns on suicide and she, she's at that point, she's like, she admitted that. And then she's like, I don't even care right now. She just couldn't handle her situation. And well, it turns out she didn't need to commit suicide because the fucking werewolf scales the side of the house oh. into a second story window, rips her apart in her room. And this is one of the few oh. deaths where we actually get to see what happens. No, he doesn't just rip her apart. He shreds her like chicken. Yeah. Like, it is... It's all claws it's and blood brutal. and... Yeah. Like I said, I think this is one of the... This, there's only, like, two deaths that we actually get to witness, like, on our own. Everything else yeah. seems to be more implied. And uh, one thing that I loved about it, too... I mean, we just got done watching Evil Dead 2. It had that Evil Dead 2... Or, you know, or even Evil Dead, where it's uh, the, the creatures coming through the window and you're getting that camera shot... Oh, where it so, tightens up. Yeah, yeah. like that was really cool. So you see, uh, you know, the woman there in her nightgown popping pills, and all of a sudden you hear the the glass break, mm-hmm. but the camera's the one that's coming through. So yeah. you're getting the the POV of the wolf, and I was like, that was pretty bitching. I was digging that. But yeah, just the shredded chicken. Now, the one thing that I at, at first didn't really understand. So the wolf goes in there and slaughters this woman, and the mother it lives, or is in the house, and she's downstairs. She hears the screaming, and so she runs upstairs and then opens the door, and you see the bloody mess. And I was like, why didn't the wolf just kill her too? Well, there's a reason for that. The but, um, uh, we come comes yeah. to find out when we when we find out who the werewolf is. One of the things we also find out is that he is fully cognizant of what he's doing. Yes. He remembers everything, he's aware of everything, and he is in control. Uh, I think the only time he's not in control is the full moon. So what ends up happening with uh, the rules set in this werewolf story is that they can go, a werewolf will turn wolfy at night. Like, just at night, full stop. So as long as the moon is out... They can become wolfy. Yeah. And... No matter what. Yeah, no matter what. However, that, like, two or three day period around the full moon is when they're at peak wolfiness. And they... That human part of the brain gets put away. Yeah. Like, on the full moon, they're almost wolfful stuff. But any other day during the month, they're cognizant of what they're doing. They remember. Like, they become human. It's not like American Werewolf in London where they, you know, wake up and and they're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, they wake up, they know what they did. And even to the point where, you know, we come to find out that 
they're even they're so aware of what they're doing that they're in control they're actually driving the car so the um thought the werewolf where do you want to do the reveal because i kind of have to to continue this part of the story all right let's go ahead and do the reveal so and i'll talk about why i don't like the reveal right go ahead so we come to find out that uh everett mcgill's character the reverend in the town is the werewolf hallelujah yeah so um we we find out that the reason why Stella got killed is because the Lord frowns upon suicide. So he saved her. He took out her body to save her soul. <laughs> he was doing the Lord's work. Pretty much. That was the thought process that behind Getting that. Getting the so, sinners back to heaven. That was one of our <laughs> that was one of the, the um one of the pieces of evidence that told us that the wolf does what it wants to and it's still human inside of its head yes now uh let me t- tell you why uh you know i don't like the reveal on this one um so the reveal the the big reveal happens in the middle of the movie so kind of it, it no it happens it's pretty it, much almost in the middle of smack dab in the movie okay so um there has been a slew of murders, and the the one just before the reveal is uh, Marty's friend Brady, who ends up getting owned. Yeah, I'm not sad about that one. No, He's no, I'm not. Shitty we'll kid. talk about those two, but um, so late, all of a sudden, you get kind of a lynch mob set up in the in the bar like it's all the townspeople and they're just like we got to go out and get these fuckers yeah and uh oh andy they're going vigilante oh my god like the whole bar is just ridiculous and they don't give a shit about the cops it's well because andy andy uh the character andy is getting the entire town in the bar that's in the bar riled up because he doesn't feel like the sheriff is doing his job okay yeah andy uh throughout this entire movie anytime you see him he is just on asshole level nine. Like, it's just... Oh, he's a cranky fucker. Yeah, he's so cranky all the time. And uh, when he's in the bar, he's actually fighting with the deputy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's arguing. He has no respect for the law whatsoever. And he's just... He's calling the, the cop a fat piece of shit and just... Well, and he's, and and he's threatening was, to fight him. The cop was a little drunk, too. But still, it's like he's in uniform, Mm -hmm. and he's threatening to fight this guy. And I was like, that's some ballsy shit. Mm -hmm. Then later on in the movie, when they're starting the lynch mob, they they go through... And same thing, like he's just giving them shit, not... He's, you know, calling the fat fucker and all this other nonsense. And I I was like, that's... Wow. Good way to go for you. For having having the, the cojones like that. But he gets everyone whipped up into this frenzy, and then the yes. sheriff pops in and says, everyone needs to calm down. And for the most part, the people in the bar listen to the sheriff. And they kind of they kind of snap out of um, the, you know, foamy mess that they were in in their heads. And some of them just go home. Because uh, yeah. the sheriff is like, it's past curfew, curfew, you need to go home, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he, he explains that you guys, this is getting really close to a lynch mob or a hanging mob. And that's, a lot, all this is illegal. Like, you guys cannot do this. Yeah. And you guys should, you know, just go home and, and make, and, you know, protect yourselves and stuff like that. Then, Brady's dad, uh, the, the boy's father, that, you know, he cuts the perfect 
promo. Yeah, it is. Holy shit. <laughs> it's so I was good. I was so into On the cop. He was with the side <sighs> of Andy. Oh my god, yeah. He basically cuts this promo saying that my boy was cut to shreds. You guys aren't doing anything. We are going to go do something right now. Yeah. And but Very, it, it, and um, it felt and I I this will be an Another reference to Jaws, but this was Mrs. Kittner. So when uh, they find the tiger shark and uh, Chief Brody's all proud that is the fisherman caught it and they're yeah. taking pictures for the paper, Mrs. Kittner walks up to Brody and smacks the shit at him and says, you know, my, you knew that, you know, everything yeah. was... And, you knew, and you and didn't now, close yeah. the beaches, this is your fault. So this guy cut this promo, but I think he did it better. Mm. And I was like, and that was saying a lot because he, I was... As I'm watching this, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I was in. So I was yeah. like, he he was fantastic um, on this promo. So they all, Andy uh, finally, like, everyone's like, okay, yeah, we're going to do the mob thing. And Andy's just like, let's go. And he, like, kind of like justifying everything he says yeah. about fucking these police and then, and then going well, on. Well, yeah, because he, because, you know, a father with a dead child is on his side. So he feels... Yep, he's like validated. Let's go. Yeah, he feels validated in what he needs to do. So the few people that do stick around with Andy that go out with him, they all end up dead. And I oh mean, Andy doesn't, gosh. but all of his cohorts yeah, do. Yeah, they and they get picked off one by one in the woods. And it is it's beautiful because they go out in the woods and the fog is just just about waist high and it looks like they're in water yeah and so the wolf like they can hear the wolf like running around and making noises and it's freaking them out and then they realize that the wolf is here with us and it's underneath the fog and then all of a sudden you see the big wolf hand come up and start taking people down and uh it was like the velociraptors yeah, in jurassic park the, oh my gosh it's so cool Where they just start whoop, yeah ripping but people the, down. the the best one was uh brady's father He's sitting there, and he's freaking out, and all of a sudden you see the big wolf hand pop up, grab him by, by the throat, and then drag him down. But then his body pops up, and he's got, like, half a face on. I was like, that's so bitchin'. The, <laughs> it's so dope. The, before we get back to the Reverend, yeah, that whole yeah. scene was really well shot. Um, the yeah. fog effect, it's a little cliche, but when it's well done, it looks really cool. Yeah. And, yeah, it did. It looked like they were in waist-high water. Yeah. And um, it provided the perfect cover for the wolf and everything else. Uh, yeah. But Andy, I think Andy's the only one that escaped that. Well, no, I think, I think, I'll, I think almost all of them died. I, I, Andy An- Andy was, made it out. We find yeah. out Andy, li- Andy lived later yeah. at the barbershop. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, so, oh, and then the, uh, the bartender... Um, I, oh, the old man. I forget his uh, his name. Uh, oh, Mister uh, Mister Knoxford. Uh, he was pretty bitching because his weapon of choice was the peacemaker. Oh it's yeah, that baseball bat that actually pl- t- plays into the story a little bit later on. But he's like he, he gets caught by the wolf and he's trying to beat the. the, the and that was the, not gonna yeah, happen. Yeah, it wasn't happening. It was the wolf crazy. started to chew up the bat instead. Yeah. But what was interesting was. You know, after that scene a little bit later, at this point, we still don't know who the wolf is. But what ended up ruining the big reveal, and I think it was the part that annoyed you the most. Yeah, okay, this is came going right into after it, yeah. that. Now, so the next scene is a Sunday church scene. So <laughs> it was another funeral. There was like three. Oh, co- that's right. It was. There were like three okay. coffins laid out, and um, Reverend Lowe was at his podium. Yes. 
delivering more or less the same speech he's delivered for every single Oh, no, no, he wasn't talking. They were all singing, and I've always said white people should not sing in church because it is the dreariest thing ever. I'm sorry, I've been to some, and this not sounding uh, stereotypical or racist, but, like, I've been to black churches, and it is fun. If you are a church-going person, church should be fun. Church should be uplifting. Church should be proud. Like, these people are just... It's called a hymn, Craig. It's awful, and it's boring. I'm sorry. Can't do it. And these people did that for me, too, because I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. (laughs) And then, um, then... the reverend he ends up uh going through and uh you know starts talking about redemption and and just you know really let's all come together and and uh, just trying to well, make it said, a better better said, thing and he said something about he's like i don't i'm trying to find the words to comfort you yes and then brady's dad pipes up he's saying, like there's no comfort yeah and then it flashes back to the reverend and he's kind of he's kind of gobsmacked for a second like he's trying to find the words and then the camera pans back, to, like it cuts back to the audience, and everyone looks kind of dirty. And we're watching as the entire congregation starts turning into wolves. They start, they start going through the werewolf process. Now, here's the thing that irritates me. And the Reverend was watching the whole thing. Yes. Okay. The, the Reverend was watching, and he was terrified. It was also a dream. Yes. And but the wolf sequence of the entire congregation is such a bitch in scene like that is so cool yeah but it ruined it ruined the reveal because then after after the reverend wakes up you realize that oh who else has wolf dreams but wolfmen <laughs> it's like it's like come on man halfway through the movie now that we know that this this joker is, is the wolf and it really did ruin it because we come to you know because it's not five or seven minutes later we get to where we go through the Fourth of July barbecue. Red gives Marty his new his new wheels, and you know he tells Marty to stick close to home. Promise me you'll stay close to home. He also gives Marty a fuck ton of fireworks. Oh my gosh! And uh, so Marty, in the middle of the night, decides to take off and drive down the road to a bridge in the woods, and he starts lighting off his fireworks because he clearly forgot that people have been getting murdered in the middle of the night. And the werewolf's out in the woods. The werewolf comes and tracks him down. And Marty starts firing fireworks at him to make him go away. Finally, he has, the last one he has in his hand is a bottle rocket. And he lights off the bottle rocket. And he's holding the stick out. And um, the rocket blasts off and takes out the wolf's eye. He gets the wolf right in the eye. The wolf's distracted long enough that Marty can just take off like whole ass yeah no he's just blowing through back to his house and then he shimmies back up into the window calls his you know you see him like cuddled up in the corner of his bed calls red blah blah blah. we already talked about that stuff well the next morning he's telling jane what happened and he's uh he says well you know the we're gonna know who the wolf is because he's only gonna have one eye and so jane's like fine whatever i'll um i'll humor you 
So she goes and gets a cart, and they're doing a bottle and can drive for a charity. So she goes to every place in town to collect bottles and cans and starts looking at people's eyeballs. Oh, and that was even more unsettling because as she's, like, walking through the town, they, the people are just staring at her. Oh, my God. And like, it's like, how creepy is this fucking town? Yeah, like, there's, there was like, a – one of the doors she knocked on was a couple, and a woman answers the door – and, like, her husband's like, well, who's that? And she says, oh, it's um, Lil' Jane. She's coming to collect re- recyclables or something like that. And he, the way he, like, pokes his head around the corner. Yeah. He, like, it's just sort of was like, hey, little girl. Yeah. Like, I mean, what? all you had to do is just really just go, just show them. It's like, okay, well, if they don't have a missing eye, yeah. you're good. Just so moving she, on. So she's schlepping the shopping cart all around town, collects everything, and takes it back to the reverend. Um... And at this point, we as an audience know who it is, but this should have been the big reveal because we see the Reverend tending his garden, and he tells Jane to go put all of the bottles and cans in the garage, and she is cursing Marty the whole time. But as she's unloading her shopping cart, she slips and she falls, and she lands on a pile, and everything, all of the the bottles and stuff get disrupted, and she sees what's left of the bartender's peacemaker bat. And that's when she realizes, oh, shit, and turns yeah. around, and we see that Reverend Lowe only has one eye. That should have been our big reveal. Exactly. And it was not. And so as cool and as crazy as that werewolf congregation scene was, it ruined it for me because the whole time. Now, the only thing that I can say that saved this movie, or not the movie, but saved that scene of... The, what the, should have for, been the reveal? Yeah, or for the reveal, is everything after that was creepy. Just because he looked like a goddamn Bond villain. He did. And, I mean, he had an eye patch on, and he did not fit the town at all. These were a bunch of backwood hicks. I wouldn't and, go so far as to say that, but are they you were kidding me? They really? were all wearing like tractors and overalls and working on railroad tracks. Does that mean they're backwoods? They were. Hicks. They look backwoods, and That's, he he was driving a Cadillac. Salt, and, being salt of the earth people doesn't mean you. You know what I mean? Like they were basic people, but that doesn't mean they were backwoods. Okay, right. it was a town full of the, farmers and farmers blue and redneck. Okay, okay, I, I'll. I will retract, but yeah, because if you want to, if yeah. you want to say backwoods Hicks, you're talking like moonshiners. You're talking, um, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, I, kind of I deliverance will, kind of. Yeah, things. I will agree with. I'm just saying because one of the guys that keeps helping Marty, uh, he's always riding around on a tractor and he's got dip in his lip because he's a farmer. But, okay, that I just said I retracted it. Jeez, <laughs> get off my ass. I'm sorry to all the backwoods listeners that we have. Cheesy, crazy. So, <laughs> but all right, guys. So let's we're gonna take a quick break here, and uh, we'll just jump right on back into this uh, howling good time. And we're back. We are so back. I actually want to talk about the wolf itself. Um, they, okay, so they they use the jaws method here, where you only get little glimpses. Yep. Of of it, so it's like an eye here, some teeth here. Have a you claw, noticed that a lot of here. horror movies do t- tend to take that Jaws method? It where... co- partly is because I think it worked, and partly it's because it's an effective method because it allows your imagination to fill in the gaps. Now the thing is yep. that the werewolf get up, it looked pretty cool in the shadows, but when yep. it was fully lit. I don't think it was quite as effective. Like, towards the end where we see 
the werewolf step out into the light. It, I think it loses a little bit of its charm. Yeah. They, um, the one thing that I noticed that they kind of didn't really utilize too much was KY Jelly. It, Fine. This is the first movie in a long time that hasn't been covered in juice. Oh my gosh, that's right. Well, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. There's, There's not, been a lot of juicy movies lately. Not a lot of juicy movies. Um, <laughs> so, because, and I think what, the one thing that I noticed was that I thought the wolf looked fantastic, like, was great. I mean, compared to a lot of werewolf movies, and, and for being a practical yeah. costume, well, very well done. Because this was, this was 1985, and it very well could have looked like a man in wolf pajamas. Yes. And <laughs> the one thing that I noticed is that the skin was very smooth and kind of looked a little, like, almost rubbery. Mm-hmm. But it, it had, like, a little bit of a shine to it. And I think if they used, like, the, the, the KY on it, I'm not a special effects, you know, makeup artist. But I think it's, like, if they made it glisten a little bit and kind of made it have that little bit of a moisture texture to it may have added a little bit of a I'm, it, I'm not talking like super juicy but just a, make it a little bit of a glistening I think what ended up happening is the thing is because it's, it's latex right or silicone yeah. so both of those get very smooth unless you deliberately put some sort of texture on top of it now what ends up happening in a lot of the newer where wolfy type movies where we saw it with Underworld and we saw it with the Wolfman remake and, and some of those the, the non-CGI ones, the ones that still use practical effects, is the there wasn't a lot of skin showing. And that's that's what I'm talking about. And when there, w- but the skin that was showing, it had texture on it. Yes. And I think that was that part might have been overlooked. Yeah, if they put like a a, a layer of of jelly or something over well, it, it would have. And it I'm would only, have hated a little bit, but I don't think that would have solved. The and problem. I'm only saying to put the layer that layer of jelly on it because there was a lot of skin showing. Yeah, yeah. If that's... they if they just covered it all in up in fur, hands down, that would been it would, it's it's already fantastic. Yeah, it, but it would have just added a little bit extra. It would have been a non-issue. I can't think of another werewolf movie that showed that much skin on the face or anywhere else for that matter. Like, it was more like a gorilla suit with a snout. Monster Squad. Really? Monster Squad. The the werewolf had uh, the man's like. Well, I mean, it was a bitchin face one of my favorites but you could tell like it had uh just all the hair kind of going around around the sides and then like the front of it uh was more of a man's face but with the werewolf features or with the wolf features i should say so i mean that one didn't have a whole lot of and it they utilized that that sweat look to it to make it look a little bit more realistic yeah this is one of the ones that didn't rely so heavily on the fur um, which is why it actually worked okay as long as it was kept in the shadows. Like, it was pretty effective and was creepy in a lot of yeah. cases, especially when it was, like, you know, peeking through a window or something like that. Like, it definitely was the, the scene towards the end where Red, Marty, and Jane are all in the living room, and they had all fallen asleep, and Red woke up because a cigarette burned his hand. Yeah. And he's like, this is bullshit. You two go to bed. I'm not doing this shit anymore. Like, he couldn't believe that he had been entertaining it for that long, and Jane sees the werewolf's face pop up in the living room window like that was really scary like that had yeah that was a moment and then it was gone and there's a lot of of moments too where you can see the wolf's eyes looking through uh, uh, tree branches or anything like that or you can see his teeth that was a really neat effect as far as to show that okay 
monsters here, and he's looking at you, yeah. and it's... It, I just don't think it held together as well once it was... You got the full full body. However, the transformation sequence, I mean, that that rivaled Rick Baker's in, uh, in Lon- Werewolf in London. It, I, I wouldn't say rivaled. I would say almost kind of like... Uh, like make make making it, it. Make it an homage I, because I think what they did no, was I they mean, took. In term, I mean, in terms of it of it working, like it didn't look oh, shitty. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah it, it did not look shitty, but you could definitely tell it didn't have that Rick Baker finesse that uh, like American Werewolf from it Wasn't yeah. Rick Baker? <laughs> A little duh, but like you could tell, like it was, it didn't work as as good. But the way that they hit, had the lighting on the Reverend, you could really, and also to great job with the cutscenes because they would flip from the Reverend back to the sheriff that he was attacking, and then go back to the Reverend, and yeah. so they, they, it really added to that to where his transformation was taking place. And I think that helped with the transformation a lot because there were so many cuts to make up this one scene. There would be like seventeen, twenty, however many cut and splice together to make the scene work so it's like there would be a little bit more transformation every time you cut back to the wall but they did utilize that the the mechanics in the face to stretch out the the snout just like they did in american world from london so i mean i thought that was a really again cool yeah, scene but god damn man use some ky jelly make it look like he's sweating make him look like he's working it it, it looked rubbery when it was stretching it, out <laughs> <laughs> you know what though i've seen so much ky jelly in the last several weeks i'm glad Have you I'm, now I'm, with all the movies oh, okay <laughs> that i kind of am okay with it, a dry monster for a change a wink yeah <laughs> so but there is a I, I don't know like it was a, it was a neat scene and that scene with the sheriff was also kind of nuts because uh red goes to the sheriff and he is explaining a story just as marty has told him mm-hmm. and the sheriff was like you really believe this and red was like he didn't say yes but it was he a, also didn't say no he did not he just kind of like i'm just giving you information yeah you he use it said, with um, what you want he had said he's like i think it's worth checking out yeah so the sheriff Decides to, you know, bebop on down to the Reverend's, you know, little shack, little garage, and... He's just snooping. E- illegally, dude. Yeah. I I had that moment where I looked at it, and I was just what like... What a horrible cop! I was like, nah, man, come back with a warrant. <laughs> he dude. had nothing. He just went over there. All I could see is, like, it's like an episode of Cops, and it's just... And then just, you get the, like, some... Some uh, hillbilly, I was like, I ain't do nothing. You can't come get me. You know what would have made it better? It was some bimbo in a tube top hanging out the window. <laughs> you lock his ass up! Lock him up! You <laughs> good for nothing? Just like that, screaming. That would have made this movie a gold skull, hands down. If I saw <laughs> Betty Lou in a tube top, just and it's a juicy on the front. like <laughs> or It's like, that would have been the best you but, sack of shit! You get your ass to jail! Listen, you hussy! I told you to get back in. I'm dealing with this popo, and he's in here. Take just, him to jail! Oh, you shut! Like uh, that would <laughs> right there, hands down, best movie, Oscar worthy. 
Unfortunately, we did not get Betty Lou and her two. Oh top. my god. Anyways, but yeah. So the <laughs> so the sheriff goes out there and he's looking at the car because uh, Red has told the story that the Reverend has tried to run Marty off the road and kill him. Which is true. Like we had seen in uh, yeah. uh, because again more evidence that the werewolf rules in the story. They know they know what's going on. They're aware of what's going on. The Reverend knows it was Marty who shot the bottle rocket into his eye. And at this point, Marty Marty and Jane are kind of in, you know, after Jane finds out who the Reverend is. And that's when she finally believes Marty because there's proof. Yeah. So she comes back and she's like, I don't know what to do with this. And this was kind of, I didn't know how to feel about this. I was a little uncomfortable with how this went down. Marty, he's like, I'll take, he tells Jane he'll take care of it. And so he goes and he starts cutting out, like, a ransom note. He's cutting words out of magazines and newspapers and gluing it onto letters. Basically, like, the first letter we see him do, it says, um, we know who you are. We know what you are. Why don't you just kill yourself? And I, and I kind of sat there for a sec, like, whoa. Like, that's such an, I mean, it's an immature thing to say because he's an eighth grader. But it's also... I didn't really know how to feel about it. Like, it kind of bothered me that that was what he decided was a good idea, was to tell somebody to go kill themselves. Yeah, like, and, and he didn't do it just once. He did it a bunch of times. Yeah, we get the voiceover from Jane that she sent a letter. She sent, like, ended up sending, like, three or four letters yeah, and, to the Reverend. <laughs> and that was pretty nuts. Now, uh... Uh, one thing that I wanted to oh, note... Oh, all of them suggested suicide. Yes. One thing that I wanted to note that I... For some reason, it, it, it didn't hit me as to who this guy was, but the sheriff in this movie is none other than Terry O'Quinn. Okay. He is uh, John Locke in Lost. Like, the one of the, you know, one of the uh, fan favorite characters from Lost. And I was like... And he's very young, and I could not place him for the life of me. And then, like, as I'm looking through this, I'm like, holy shit. That uh, is awesome. So we get Gary Busey, and then we get really Terry O'Quinn. I really didn't watch Lost, because Lost was stupid. No. I Wait, to you, but, I mean, uh, there's a lot of... It's pretty uh, stupid. I'm not, I'm not in exactly a minority. <laughs> no, but still, he was fantastic in the show okay so that's i mean i the as much as i've watched you know watched he was fantastic very believable great actor so I, it was that's pretty cool seeing him you know right. in in silver uh, silver bullet um so we get a lot of it's funny because red kind of has one foot firmly in skepticism even though he's kind of entertaining marty and jane well after jane realizes that marty's telling the truth she um and marty both are talking to red and she's trying to convince red too that no marty's right and marty hands um red his necklace and it's made of silver and says um i want you to melt this down and do a silver bullet and then jane had a crucifix and she asks red to do the same thing so that they have enough metal to make the silver bullet and he's like god damn it like red red's just like are you fucking kidding me all right, fine, like, whatever. And so he goes to this gunsmith. Um, I think he's just outside of town or something like that that he knows, and he he, he has, lies. Uh, he goes, he has, my, ne- my nephew's really into the Lone Ranger. Yeah, he's like, can you make the fashion a silver bullet out of this? 
And the gunsmith is like, sure, that's fine. And um, so he goes and he creates this silver bullet and he looks at Red. And he's like, what did you want this for again? And Red kind of bullshits the story and he goes, uh, but the gunsmith knows. He's like, he he says, you know, you're going to go hunting a werewolf, right? He's like, he's like, you're not going to go shoot a werewolf, are you? And then Red just kind of just stares at him, and then it cuts to the next scene, and you're just like, well, he knows. Yeah, but like, the, apparently there are some believers around, and I think that kind of, conf- having an adult say it may have, may have let Red believe a little bit more than I think he was planning on believing. Yeah. Just because of that. And uh, it turns out that Marty's research was correct. A silver bullet yeah. will kill a werewolf. Yeah, and uh, it's a very, I mean, I, th- I think a bullet would really kill anything, but it was... Uh, well, the silver is supposed to poison them or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, it's... I mean, it's still a bullet. It's still a also, bullet. Also, um, Marty, what what a shot. So he takes out the werewolf's left eye with a bottle rocket, and then he... Um, Red loses control of the gun, and the silver bullet goes down into a heating vent, and Marty fishes the um, bullet out, sticks it back in the revolver, and then shoots uh, Reverend Lowe in the other eye. Yeah. This kid's got amazing aim. He takes out both eyes, and we know the werewolf is dead because he shifts back into a human. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, no, 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 no. So, <laughs> I, I call bullshit so quick at this. So, <laughs> Marty sh- shoots the Reverend <laughs> in the eye. And he falls down in a fan-fucking-tastic re-transformation. Like, mm-hmm. so he goes from wolf, and you see him go back to a man, which you don't really see a ton of. Yeah, usually you'll see the man-to-wolf transformation, yeah, but it's Or not- it's like a quick, like, snap, and, and oh, I'm back to a wolf again. Yeah. Or, uh, to man again. Yeah, you don't really see it. The, the wolf to man reverse transformation. No, uh, and, I, and I'm talking like a slow burn. Yeah. So you see that, and then like you see the Reverend just sitting up there, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like he yeah. jumps up. One last jump scare. Why? Why? Because, and then he falls back down dead. Because scream <laughs> rules, man. But scream like rules. Bullshit. You shot him in the head, he's a dead end. He's a dead end, and he's gonna go to Jesus or to hell because he did a lot of murdering. <laughs> he did, <laughs> and the good Lord don't like that. He liked that he saved all those people from condemning their sinful love. No, just Stella because she was gonna kill herself. That's right. Well, no, no, but all the other people he said are, are were sinners, and they were gonna go to hell for what they did. Um, Arnie being a complete drunk or whatever he did. Um, I mean, yeah, that's the amazing part is um, Reverend Lowe had full justification of every single person that he killed. Yeah. And then Marty was just going to be the revenge kill. Okay, let's talk about this. I don't know what in the world happened there. Okay, so uh, let's set up this scene. We're going to talk about Dickhead Brady. Oh, my God. Okay. So- right from Jump Street, this kid is a piece of shit. Like... <laughs> All right, so I get it. You want to prank your friend's big sister. Fine. Yeah. But then when your friend says, let it go, man, and you don't, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, and, 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 he, and he's 
okay, it, it's... And he's uh, such a dick. Ugh, irritating. Just punch the kid in the face. Every time he showed up, he just had that real punchable face. Oh, my God. Just want to sock it. Sock it to him. Anyways, so the scene is uh, Marty and Brady are out flying kites. Marty's kite gets stuck in a tree. What does Brady do? He keeps flying his goddamn kite, and Marty, a cripple boy, shimmies his sweet ass right on up in that tree. Like, that that pissed me off so much. Like What? I'm like, you know, you're fully able-bodied. You couldn't say to your friend in a fucking wheelchair... Here, hunt. Here, buddy. Hold my kite. I'll go get that for you. Yeah. No. He he goes up in the tree, and a little part of me was like, okay, maybe Marty was like, you know what? No, I'll do it. Like he doesn't want to feel like he needs super help. But I was like, that's a you're climbing up a tree and shimmying across a branch. But Brady was just kind of like he wasn't even paying attention to Marty. Like, no, he he, even... he could give two shits, and that 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 irritated the and shit then, out of me. And then um. I could see if he's like, hey, let me go get it for you. And Marty's like, no, no, let me do it. I want to do it. Yeah. But I could we, see that. If we saw that on screen, that'd be something else entirely. But we didn't. Because we could see that Marty wanted his independence between, you know, his uncle giving him the motorized uh, wheelchairs and everything else. Like, he wanted his independence and he could function independently. So, of course, that's what he would want to do. But, like... We don't see that scene. All we see is Marty shimmy up a tree and Brady's just having a grand old time yeah. flying his kite. And it's like, fuck you, bro. Yeah. Like, really? Okay. So then after that, uh, Tammy, and we'll get into her too because that was a, a whole nother story. So Tammy shows up and she's telling Marty to get out of the tree. He's going to hurt himself. And then uh, they're like, oh, it's getting dark. We got to get in. Tammy's for- Tammy's their best friend. By the- yes. Uh, Marty's uh, friend, by the way. The, a girl best friend, yes. Um, which, if you don't know what Tammy would sound like. Um, anyways, so Tammy shows up, tries to get Marty out of the tree, and then goes and they're like, oh, it's, it's almost curfew. We need to get home. It's going to get dark out. Well, Brady's like, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to stay out here and fly my kite. Yeah. And then, and so then you see Marty kind of look back at his friend and then gun it with his sweet motorized wheelchair. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's nighttime, Brady's still out, and then all of a sudden the Reverend Wolf... Takes him out. Takes him out. You don't see him get taken out but you definitely know that he is well you know gone. especially because we cut to uh brady's family calling around trying to find him and uh the they call the sheriff to help try to, the sheriff goes out <laughs> looking for him and, finds a bloody kite oh my gosh the bloody kite like and the sheriff is just in horror at what he's found well because then the dad comes running up and he's like oh have you found him have you found him and he sees that the sheriff has found brady's kite and he goes running off towards you know in the direction the sheriff came from and and the sheriff's like no don't go go, go," begging him not to go and it doesn't matter because i I guess he put a blanket or something over brady's body and hit the dad like pulls the blanket back or the sheet back or whatever and he sees what's left of his son underneath it fantastic acting by that man he oh yeah brilliant he was broken yeah. but what is it bad that i was sitting there going i want to see <laughs> yeah i did too i was like let's see the body you don't see anything do it we're morbid do yeah, it yeah you just do it you just oh, you didn't see do it. yeah you just see the dad's reaction and then it cuts to another scene yeah 
so with that, ba- based off of what we just said, where the Reverend has is ju- justifying all of his kills, why did he kill the boy? The boy didn't really do anything except for being a complete ass. But, I but mean, even then, the Reverend didn't know that Brady was an ass. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why Why did he kill the boy? I mean, it, it does set up for the rest of the town to go out and, and do a lynch mob because of Brady's dad wanting to just go mm-hmm. ahead and, and get him. But, yeah, there's no justification as to why he murdered... A 13-year-old boy? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I can't... I can't think of a way to justify it or to explain it because it doesn't really fit in with Reverend Lowe's thought process. Like, it just sort of, it seems more random. Like, he just happened to be out there. But also, he was going to attack Marty on the bridge, too, before Marty shot off fireworks at him. Like, he was coming at Marty, and he didn't have a justifiable reason to attack Marty either. Yeah. So, like... The Reverend claimed to have some rhyme or reason as to why he was doing the things he was doing, but yeah. you're going to attack innocent kids, too? Yeah. Like, that doesn't fit with your thought process. And the actor that I'm praising so much, his name is Kent Broadhurst. He has been in movies um, such as uh, Leon, uh, uh, Silver Bullet, obviously. Duh. He was in, like, a bunch of Law & Order uh, he did Babylon 5. Uh, He's done a lot of TV. Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, a lot of TV, but, man, that guy, hands down, best actor in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he was he was great. So I, he had me hook, line, and sinker whole way through. So He definitely had the, the pained yeah. father thing down. Yeah. Um, and his scenes were very short, but they really... They got the point across. And I think the Brady thing, yeah, maybe you're right. That might have just been the catalyst to get the town fired up against everything. Um, Because this is all within a month. So it's just killing after, like, murder after murder. Mm -hmm. And the the town is very small, so the sheriff's department doesn't have anybody to... Yeah, there's no resources. There's, like, the sheriff, a deputy, and maybe one other cop to play with. So, I mean, I could definitely... and, And this is Jaws. Like, that is Jaws. Like, you have Chief Brody and his deputy, and they don't have enough manpower, yet they have to go out and, and try and get people to go out and their bounty on a shark. And then they go out, like, and then a, a bunch of them get murdered. Like, it's it's Jaws, but with a werewolf. Yeah. If you If you really, if you really, like, now that I'm breaking it down. It follows the same sort of. Same pattern. Plot process, yeah. yeah. Same pattern. But, um, I mean, it's, it still works on its own, but there's a lot of those little things, like, with, with Brady. It was like, oh, like, with the the reverend justification of, like, oh, I'm, I'm taking all these sinners and, 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 yeah. and, 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 and saving their souls so that they don't, uh, yeah, you know, he was using murder they can go through. <laughs> he was using his werewolf as, like, a vehicle to be Jesus, man. Yeah. That was a superhero alter ego. I don't know. I don't. It would work if he didn't attack children, but because he atta- attacked children, it, it the the logic just falls apart. Yeah. And it's like sure, but there's huge gaping holes in that. Cool. Um, and another thing too that was kind of. But he could be really creepy. Like when Jane oh figured God. him out. Yeah. Like Everett McGill's a handsome man. He was a ha- very handsome man in this movie. But like he got really. Um, when we see him towards the beginning of the movie, he just seems 
like your standard issue priest where he's he's helpful and he's friendly and he's this that the other thing and then when jane figures him out like as soon as he loses the eye he immediately goes like you said bond villain yeah he and he, he, he just, gets sinister he's pissed and i mean i'd be pissed too if i if, you know i just got my eye yeah but he went out, but. he a switch flipped to make it to put him into full creep mode like yeah. the way when he comes in on jane and she's unloading he he's like do you need any help and he goes, she's like, no, I'm okay. I gotta go. And well, like, she's, she's like, oh, I have, I have a headache. And he's like, well, do you want to lay down in the parlor? I can get you something to drink. And it's very, like, not, a not a natural. There's but, some, I mean, the cadence is really skeezy. Yeah. And she's like, no, I think I just want to go home. He's like, oh, I'll give you a ride. And he's very soft. Yeah. And he's very scary about it. And it's almost like, it's the big bad wolf. All yeah. the better to eat you with, my dear. Yeah. And, well, and <laughs> so then later on, you see Marty in his souped up silver bullet, and he's driving down the road, and the Reverend is creeping up behind him in his Cadillac. His big blue Cadillac. And he's just, and, and, and like, so he's stalking Marty. Uh, Marty, oh, that was another thing that was really sad, was Marty is out at this baseball field. Uh, watching all the kids running around playing baseball, and he's kind of dreaming. Or you know, he, he can't. Yeah, he's just looking at them, just running and jumping, and and he's. You could tell like he's he's really feeling bad because he can't do that. Yeah, and he want he obviously wants to participate. Yeah, because one of the kids said something to him about playing too, and he's like, "No, I'm okay on the other side of the fence." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, do you want to do you want to throw throw some with us?" And I mean it. That was really nice for the other kids, like, because they didn't see Marty as... Having something wrong. Yeah, he's like, oh, you want to come play? Come on. And that was really cool. Like, that... Even if it's just playing catch. Yeah. Yeah. That was really neat. And, I mean, Marty's like, no, I gotta get home. That's cool. And then he starts to drive off, and the Reverend peels out and starts to come after him. Well, then it turns out that the Reverend's trying to run Marty off of the road because Marty knows... He's he's a wolf. He's what he is. He's the yeah, one that's Marty's, killing. Yeah, Marty hurt him, and Marty was going to expose him. So Marty was a threat. So he's trying to, into a point where he actually hits Marty um, and tries to drive him off of a bridge. Like he hits this um, a railing, and so like Marty's doing everything he can to duck and dodge, but he's running out of gas, which adds to the tension. So he drives into this old broke down bridge. And runs out of gas. Yeah. And Marty runs out of gas a lot. He's a 13-year-old boy. He's not going to be As a good a dad, it's that. like, God damn it, just fill your tank. Yeah. Just fill your tank. Just keep full. Come yeah. on. You can get... All right, Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, you can get... You can get on a kid all day long, but they're not... That's not going to be a priority because... We've all done it. We've all looked at our gas tank and went, eh, we can make it. Yeah. yeah. I know my car. Yeah, we got fumes. <laughs> we can just, do it. But that's not the case. So he finds himself running out of gas when he, at the scariest point. And it's set up at the beginning where he he knows he's pushing it. And he's like, I just need to make it into this next gas station. And he is like, as he's pulling into the gas station, he's running out of fumes. Well, that's, and I, you know, if, you're, if you've seen enough of these kind of movies, you're going to, you see it coming a mile away where it's setting up for... Marty's irresponsible. He's going to run out of gas at a very inopportune time. And he does. And he's trapped on this broke-down bridge after being hit by the Reverend. And thankfully, one of the farmers is out on his tractor. And he yep. manages to flag the farmer down before the Reverend can do anything to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's in a uh, he's on a like a covered. It was a covered bridge. Yeah. Well, we, that's how the Reverend gets found out because um, Red is there and he is all over Marty's ass because he just gave him this new wheelchair and he's already busted it up and he's scream he's you know getting on Marty for being irresponsible and all this other stuff and then he goes and he looks at the back like Marty goes he's in his secondary wheelchair and goes away in that one and he kneels down to look at the back of um the new the silver bullet 2.0 and he asks Jane because he sees like paint scuffs where it got hit and he asks Jane what cover, color the reverend's car is. And she goes, it's blue. And there's red, or there's blue paint scuffs all over the back uh, fender. So he knows it's, that's when he goes to the... He's like, ah, shit. That's when he goes to the cops to have the reverend checked out. Yeah. And they, what's great is I never read... I haven't read the novella either. And I, I knew this was based on a Stephen King book. I just didn't know what it was called. I thought... I just assumed it was called Silver Bullet. I was wrong. But one thing that's actually done really well is as simple as the story is, there's a lot of really good layers here um, that you can peel back. There's, you can see a lot of different symbolism and those sorts of things. Um, Like, I love the layers of the brother-sister story built in. Like, it seems to be more of that than anything else. And then the symbol of the werewolf, um, like, especially with Jane, where you get, like, the big bad wolf vibe and like from Grimm's fairy tales and then the the black dog has always been sort of like a bad omen harbinger of death kind of thing yep so there's that element of it there's the hellhound because there's the religious side of it where he's you know he's a reverend so you've got a, a little bit of play on that and then there's your classic straight up werewolf story but we don't know how the reverend became a werewolf and i actually think it was addressed at some point in the movie they're like we don't know how he came to be like this if he was born this way if he was bitten or what he just is. We don't even know. This way. Pretty much, he um, we he just is. Like nobody know even really knows how old he is. Like he's no, been around and, forever. And he does not fit the town at all. Like no. like everyone is hardworking blue collar farmers, they not are. backwoods people. Farmers. Yeah. No. Wait. <laughs> and, and and he's very. Uh, he's a little more uppity. Yeah. Like he's a little more. He's a little more what's the looking cut. for? He's and, very clean cut. Yeah. He's got like an air of dignity about him, uh, almost aristocratic compared to everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so that alone is enough to tip off the audience that he is an outlier, yeah. and he doesn't belong with the rest of the people in this town. Yeah. I don't know if he did it get mentioned at all that he was like born there, or is that he moved there? I think he moved. But like, I, don't think I, th- it, I think they said that he was he was a, a fairly new reverend, but I don't know if, if I don't know what, what the time frame okay. on that was. But there was um, he didn't really fit the town, but this town, holy crap! Like they have a lot of drunks and a lot of assholes that are featured in this thing. It was not. <laughs> this was definitely a very. Um, angry group of people or at least a very bitter group of people like i i would hate to live in this town just because it's just a full of salty people and it's just pretty much but Um, the the thing with the reverend where he just stuck out like a sore thumb because he didn't look like any of them he kind of talked with that with a southern drawl but it was with the you know i got a plantation somewhere it was definitely more like 
upper crust Charleston yeah. kind of thing. Peachtree Street during the Civil War kind of deal. Yeah. It was definitely not your standard, it was Southern aristocrat kind of thing. More Rhett Butler. Yes. Yeah. Good call. He was yeah. like a Rhett Butler type that was plunked down in deliverance country. Almost. I don't give a damn. Well. Yeah. And he didn't. Because he went and murdered a lot of people. So, but he just... So, one thing that I wanted to uh, kind of talk about on this one, just to kind of get back into the townspeople. So, we had Andy, hmm. who was the asshole in the bar, mm-hmm. who... Did not give a shit about... And he riled up the town About cops so or anything. He just... Gone. Uh, then you had um, Red, uh, who was a, a drunk. Like, they, they really utilized that alcohol. It's uh, an easy trope. It's an easy yeah. small town trope. Um, because a lot of times, those little towns, there's just not a lot to do. Yeah. Um, so but, there's that part. But they, but they made the alcohol a major factor in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah I'd so, agree with that. So, like, Arnie, he was the uh, quote-unquote drinker. Um, and they blame his drinking on his death. Then you end up having the, uh, I guess, well, the girl, it was more of like the drug. I mean, like, so she was trying to take pills, trying to, you know, kill herself. And then... Uh, substances. I think substances. it's just substances. There you go. We'll, we'll call it that. But then you end up having this <laughs> Tammy, uh, Marty's main squeeze. Her dad is the biggest piece of shit father I've ever seen. Like, he's just the worst. So well, he gets it too. Oh my gosh, yeah, and and his is and, and, and the kill is just like you're satisfied. It's just <laughs> ah, thank God he's not around anymore. Right. But they have this thing where so Marty and Tammy are uh, well, Marty's riding his wheelie cart. Marty and, and Tammy were cute because Tammy was like his girlfriend. Yeah, kinda. she was all about him. She you know was. She didn't. It was another character that just didn't see him as something, you know, broken. And so Marty uh, rides with her to her house, and her dad comes out, and he's wearing this just stained, sweaty, te- like shirt. And he's just, you can just tell he's just. Ugh, I can't even. I can't even. He's there's no icky. words to describe it. Icky. I, oh my god, he's just gross. Icky's definitely the word. Yeah. He's just a fat slob, and he comes out, and he's like, Hey, Tammy, go help your mom out with the laundry. And, uh, you know, he's trying to get her to go away, and so she's saying bye. She go like, she walks past her dad, and Marty drives away, and he goes, Oh, that cripple boy. Marty didn't do anything to him. He's just... He just sees this wheelchair kid running around. Yeah, as he walks back into his trailer while swinging a beer. It's like, yeah. ugh, I was like, oh my gross. gosh. And then later on in the movie, uh, you see him. Uh, he comes in, and he's watching NWA wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he, but he comes in, he's drinking beer. He's got a bunch on the table, but he's drinking beer. And he's like, oh, you kick his ass. You beat him. And he's just doing the total redneck thing. Of yelling at a TV watching screen, watching wrestling, watching wrestling, and we are both big wrestling fans, and we understand that yeah, it's not necessarily fake, but it's predetermined. <laughs> but this guy is making it like he's watching a boxing match, and it's just yeah. 
it's ridiculous. And just all the lines that he's saying, like, oh, you just tear him a new one. And I'm like, I was like, if he says stomp a mud hole in him, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> because that is one of my favorites, stomping a mud hole in him. Great. But then he hears a bunch of noise out in his uh, greenhouse. And I don't think it was his greenhouse, but it was the greenhouse across the street. Yes. Okay. It was brought to our attention before because Tammy was telling Marty that she's heard noises. Yes, in that in that same yeah. location. Uh, meaning that the Reverend is out there stalking that area. And so meaning there and he also knows about Tammy's dad, uh, being just a complete waste of a human meat sack. Um, we just I mean we can infer that, but we didn't really get a whole lot out of that in just that little bit of time we yeah. spent with him. You can infer that he was kind of shitty, but we didn't have any evidence really to back that up. And that's another kill. That was like, is that justified by the... He just had a lousy reverence. attitude, yeah. but that doesn't mean you're a terrible human being. Oh, no, man. he was not a lousy... He was a fucking horrible attitude. Anyway, so the uh, fat slob goes out to the little greenhouse, yeah. and that's a really cool scene where it really builds the tension because it's a tight space you can't really see what's going on and all of a sudden the wolf is underneath the floorboards and rips him down and his and his body gets impaled on a broken piece of wood and then the body just keeps going like just goes all the way underneath the floorboard really awesome yeah um but the sad thing is is that it does cause tammy uh and her mom to move away And so Marty's girlfriend gets... Marty gets affected a lot by... uh, His best friend got killed. He... His girlfriend had to move away. Um, He... There was a lot of... It impacted him directly a lot. Um, And then naturally his own actions because he... Well, and then he was also attacked by the wolf and he had to defend himself. Yeah. And then on top of that, he knows who it is. And so he's kind of like always looking over his shoulder, yeah, of sorts. It's just there, and it's funny. We just we did this movie and we did it chapter one back to back because like this is all kind of like I said in the beginning. Like this is the kids doing their due diligence, and it's weird because in the novels, in King's novels, I I don't I've said this before. I don't like how he writes children. However. The movie adaptations. I love the way the kids are played. Yeah. Somehow there's a translation thing that happens, shifting from novel to screen, where the kids suddenly become they become kids and they become relatable, and it has this sort of like fun action adventure vibe to what they're doing instead of it being like kind of dirty and gross like the way King would write them. Yeah. Um. So I really like. I, I really like how Marty was portrayed. A lot of that, I think, had to do with Corey Haim. Yeah. And, uh... Because <laughs> he had that, like, golly gee, aw shucks thing going with him. And, you know, back in, in this era of, of movie making, whenever they have, like, some type of, uh, your hero killing the villain, <laughs> Marty... Okay, so that final scene where, uh, both... Okay, so Red gets this great idea to fake a subscription uh contest yeah and sends marty's mom and dad away to new york for uh, all expense yeah he basically bought his sister a vacation to get rid of them for a weekend yeah okay one that's okay so you're in 
like you're in <laughs> on this plan because you just spent money on it. Yeah, uh, a lot of money. Yeah. Even in the 80s, it was not cheap to send someone no. to Manhattan. So uh, so he gets, gets the house for the weekend, and then uh, that's when you know, Red wakes up with the, the lit cigarette in his hand, uh, and he's like, okay, it's, it's 3 a.m., you guys better get to bed. Jane sees the wolf in the window, which is mm-hmm. creepy as shit. She freaks out, and Red's like, well, what did you see? And he looks at Marty, he's like, did you see it? And he's like, and he's still fighting. He's like, it's, your yeah. your mind's playing tricks on you. Yeah, he's it's, like, no, fuck this, you guys go Yeah, to bed. and it's like, just go to bed. It's like, I'm tired, let go to bed. And then all of a sudden, the wolf, like, you see the wolf's hand go and cut the power. Like, so he actually, like, Yeah, and so line. Jane and Marty are freaking out, and they're like, it's the wolf, it's the wolf. And Red's like, no, it's probably the fuse, one of the fuses yeah. has gone out or something. And it's just, you have that moment of, really, Uncle Red? They did this great scene where you could see where they're, it looks like they're setting up for where the wolf is going to come through on, like, this window. But then he busts through the fucking side of the house. Or, or, yeah. or, or, or uh, it was either the side of the house or uh, one of the doors. It was. I think he busted through like a side door or something. Yeah, but, but he, like he didn't come through a window. You no, know, he busts through a door and scares the shit out of Red. But the one crazy thing was, Red really kind of held his own, where everyone else just got completely slaughtered and slain. He was like fighting with the wolf. The wolf would throw up against a, yeah. a wall, uh, you know, the wall or a mirror or the the you know china cabinet. They broke some furniture. Yeah, sure. like I mean, but <laughs> Gary Busey did. He got more airtime <laughs> in that movie than it was worth. But uh, no way, it was totally worth seeing him that much. Oh no, no, no! I'm I'm sorry, not what was worth, but it was just more of a. Like, he just got more airtime than anything. Uh, but then so. Marty drops the or the the bullet gets dropped down this grate. Yeah, that was a more intense. I was like, "Holy shit! There's a wolf right there. You need to, like that's your only one. You guys only made one silver bullet. That's all they had have silver for was the one. There's a china cabinet. Just go get some china. Like, come on. You know, yeah, you know, mom and dad have their wedding silver somewhere in there. Red just spent a whole bunch of money on a hotel. And plane get a couple of silver spoons, you jackass, and make some more. No, like like you had you have six six bullets in a chamber. You got one. That's well, that's lazy writing. I'm sorry. No, it's not lazy writing. <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm, it's to create suspense, you butthole. And they did, and uh, like <laughs> because so, what that means is you only have one it, shot. You have one chance. And if you fuck it up, you're done. But it was a really cool scene where it was intense with Red fighting the wolf, giving uh, Marty time to, to reach in, grab the bullet from the, the, the vent, put it, like, chamber it, and then get the fire off. Back in the 80s, they would always do this thing with the villain where they would just have some one-liner, like, eat lead, you fur face, or something. And yeah. And then, but no, it was just, it was a very intense, like, boom, chamber shot and then that was it and that was no the one the one liner came after when um i think it was janie asked marty if she was okay if he was okay and he said and he said something (laughs) about he's like about him not not being able to feel his legs he's like oh my legs they're like what about him he's like i can't feel him it was just like you beautiful i love you (laughs) you're so amazing that was his breaking the tension it was really cute and then you know we get the outro narration and stuff like that and the movie is fairly short i think it's just under 90 minutes 
It's not long. No. Um, and honestly, it's a really entertaining way to spend about an hour and a half of your time. So what, what are you giving this one? This was a solid three out of five. Yep. Yeah, three out of five. I'll, I'll give it a three out of five as well. I was very enjoyable. Uh, didn't really love the the reveal in the middle of the movie, but other than that, stellar work. It's solid. It's a solid script. King wrote the screenplay too, so it's a solid script or based on a solid story. It wasn't super holy with like plot issues and stuff like that, and the characters were well rounded. You got to see a lot of development. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. Holy. Uh, it's well-rounded. You got to see a lot of character development in a really short amount of time with all three of our main characters. Marty kind of matured a little bit. Red sobered up. Janie learned to love her brother. Um, it didn't... The focus was on Marty so much. It was, like you had said earlier, like the Janie narration didn't fit quite as well as it could have. That, that was weird. They they could have really made a, a change and make it like Marty was the narrator in telling the story or maybe putting Jane in a lot more of the scenes yeah. with Red and in him to that way. And a lot of the stuff, it's like, okay, well, she was the narrator. How the hell does she know that Marty was on the bridge? And I mean, like, he told her. No, but, but still, it's like you're getting it all from Marty's point of view, but it's in the way it's told by Jane. Yeah, there may be something that you know. I missed in it, but it doesn't. The narration doesn't bother me. No, having no, her tell it, it, it just, was just threw me off. It, yeah. yeah, it's a little out of place. Um, the The acting was really well done, especially for such a young cast. For the most part, uh, the only thing that I didn't really dig so much is um, while the wolf transformation looked really cool, I didn't dig the wolf in general. Like all told with the furry body i think it definitely should have been left more in the shadows instead of getting a full body reveal in like bright light i think that's where it fell short and then like that final fight scene they did a beautiful job with you using the lighting Mm -hmm. to make that thing look creepy make it look big it was great like so they did it but yeah when you get actually got it in the light It, it was a little hokey a little a little like craft project but i wouldn't go as far as craft project but it was like it probably could have taken a little bit more time to give it some more detail i mean it had a semi-decent budget so you know a seven million dollar budget i mean there's there has been more done with less so that's why i'm a little less yeah, forgiving but on it what they did for it it as long as they kept the lighting right, it worked just fine. Yes. Um, yeah. It wasn't so much scary either as it was just tense in places. There was a lot of moments of holding your breath. Yeah. But there weren't a lot of moments where I was like, uh, where, what did we watch? The Art the Clown anthology there. Oh. All <laughs> Hallows. <laughs> it wasn't like All Hallows where I was praying for death by the end of it. Um, no, with this one, when you got to the, because they showed the wolf, you knew that it was there, and it's, again, like Jaws, where you know there's a, it's a shark. There's a shark in the water that's killing everybody, and so you're not getting that, you're getting the tense of, of the scene for the, the wolf, but you know what's going to happen. Yeah. The, the scary thing for me was the Reverend with the cra- you know, cool-ass eye patch as he's hunting down... Marty on his wheelchair like so he's trying to run him off the road but then he when Marty kind of crashes into the covered bridge you can see the Cadillac creep up 
And then he gets out and he just walks in. He bends down, and it's a, a very and then Marty starts screaming for help. Very scary scene, just because it's you don't know what he's gonna do. And the Reverend, he just starts talking to Marty. He's like, I know, like, you know, you figured me out. Everything you know about me is true, and now you're gonna get it. I, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you right here. And I was like, that is a crazy scene because it's a man not a wolf going after a, a kid in a wheelchair and luckily that guy on the tractor was driving by yeah. but it was just but all the stuff with the wolf you knew what was going to happen and it was intense but it wasn't a super scary scene uh the kills were really cool i thought were the one a lot of the, neat. i mean a lot of the kills were inferred um yeah. well i mean like uh it, mr brady's yeah, but it was Heard a lot. Of, business, a lot yeah. of it was off screen, yeah. so there was a little bit on screen. I mean, it just this is definitely one that I would pick to watch on just sort of like a random Sunday if I didn't know if I didn't have a better option. Yeah, like this isn't one I would ever mind putting on again just to be like, you know what, I'm just gonna watch this one for funsies. Yeah, it was. It's definitely a good one to uh, every Halloween too. I mean, it's. Uh, very enjoyable so yeah. i mean it's like i highly recommend it and i remember only seeing this movie once before with you and as i'm watching it again this time around there was a lot of stuff that i didn't remember in it so it was nice getting that kind of a refresher yeah so uh and as far as my because werewolves are pretty you know one of my favorite monsters uh out there i mean this one really holds up on my list of uh of werewolf yeah. movies so i mean it was yeah. it really really well done i agree i think it's it's pretty good so i think that wraps up our silver bullet yeah. episode so uh three three skulls on both ends it's a solid three out of five go watch it for sure um so uh find us on facebook at creeping it real find us on instagram at creeping it real um r-e-e-l as in movie real mm-hmm. we also have our sweet ass Redbubble page sweet it's uh redbubble.com slash people slash creeping it real and mm-hmm. you can find a whole bunch of unique designs created by our one and only lunchbox over yeah that's a me uh and uh, to make it easier if our uh, Redbubble link is actually on our instagram page so go over there smash that follow button and then you can actually come up and see all of the merchandise right there just click that link and you're good to go yep so um there's some good stuff coming down the pike there's some red bubbles adding new um new items all the time to put our sweet ass pictures on mm-hmm. uh in fact you just did a new one it's probably gonna drop before this podcast comes out. But yeah, it's it. This one is uh, it's, that nightmare fuel design. It's a nightmare fuel, and it's uh, I, I'm pretty, I'm digging it. Me it's, too. It's, it's cute. Really cool. So it's super cute. But um, uh, yeah, there's a. I did like a parody of a Bad Brains, uh, the the Bad Brains cover art, which I, I took from Return of the Living Dead. Uh, for it says more brains. Uh, there's one that's uh, married to the gore for all the ladies. It's uh, it's the <laughs> The Murdering Bride, which is I'm pretty pretty pumped pretty, about, yeah. pretty good. But uh, yeah, and there's and then we also have our Slasher and Survivor Girl T-shirts, so you know pick those up and you get them on uh, T-shirts, mugs, hoodies. Uh, I think uh, before this, or I think around nope. when this uh, notebooks and all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think when this podcast is actually dropping, they are actually going to be adding in kid hoodies and uh, canvas tote bags, which is pretty dope 
Uh, you can also get like shower curtains and cell phone cases. All kinds of weirdos. It, yeah, it's like it's almost like fifty to sixty different items and all different types of colors. Is bananas what Redbubble yeah, can do? So fully, go and support. You can pick a design and then it's fully customizable from there. Oh my gosh! Um, so yeah, so Facebook, Instagram, Redbubble, um, like, share, subscribe, comment, give us our sweet ass five star rating on smash that subscribe podcast. button yes and if you subscribe you will get us instantly in your podcast feed every tuesday at midnight to listen to at your leisure plugging away <laughs> uh, i think that's everything i'm pretty good with this one yeah so we're wrapping up week two of our stephen king month uh so happy spooky times everybody it's halloween it's halloween month and we will see you on the other side.